Welcome to Spencer Talks About Stuff. Thank you all for the support and thank you for listening. This has been an incredible experience so far and I'm having a blast doing it. Having fun and meaningful conversations with awesome people is my goal on this podcast and I will continue to do so. Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and write a review if you are willing to. Please follow my channel on Spotify and the podcast is also currently on Stitcher. For the amendment section, the only thing I want to mention is that Magnificent Garden, the Korean barbecue place on Milwaukee Street in Boise that Leon and I were talking about, is still open. It looks like it's getting pretty good reviews on Google and Yelp, and I'm going to have to check it out. Today for Spencer's Favorites, I'm going to talk about my favorite breakfast place and my favorite antique store. I know that sounds a little weird, but hear me out. My favorite breakfast place by far is Eddie's Restaurant on Overland in Boise. They have a range of awesome menu options and they have great specials every single day. My wife and I eat there at least once a week. This is a very standard diner style breakfast place that also has a second location near State Street and Collister. That's Eddie's Restaurant on Overland. If you are looking for a little bit more of an adventurous breakfast place, I recommend Eggman and Earl on Apple Street near the DMB Supply. I ate there today and I got French toast that had fruity pebbles in the batter. It's a, it's a pretty awesome place and it's called Eggman and Earl on the corner of Boise and Apple. My favorite antique shop is Antique World Mall on Overland and Orchard. This is a huge store that has privately owned booths where the owners set up their antiques for sale. My wife and I have found so much cool stuff there from old Boise trail signs to World War II helmets to retro couches and end tables. It's definitely worth your time to go in there and browse. When we were in there, before I knew it, we had been browsing for over an hour. And I also wanted to give this place a shout out too because my parents love it there and they've purchased a number of things from there. And my dad and I were actually talking about this before we recorded the podcast, how much he loves Antique World Mall. Once again, please leave a review for Spencer Talks About Stuff. It is now live on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review and subscribe. Without further ado, here is episode 14. All right, welcome to episode 14 of Spencer Talks About Stuff. I actually cannot believe that it's already been 14 episodes. Uh, but today on the podcast, I am interviewing my father, William Gerke. William, how's it going? It's going great. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you decided to come on. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. So, uh, what have you been up to today? I uh, got up this morning and went on a mountain bike ride. Nice mountain bike ride. Um, I demoed a bike for the second time, and I think I'm going to go buy one tomorrow, a new mountain bike. Oh, I think cool. I deserve one. I know you and Kevin Sapien were battling for who was going to purchase a bicycle so uh, yeah yeah kevin actually bought one um we both have to order the bikes and i think it takes about a, a couple of weeks to get here yeah and then uh yeah so it'll it'll be fun what kind of bike is it it is a santa cruz tall boy and santa cruz builds uh well they're the only ones with double xl frames okay so you know kevin's uh almost as tall as me and uh tall guys need you know tall frames so yeah i'm kind of a yeti guy i love my yeti um and i feel funny not buying another yeti yeah but i was in the yeti shop yesterday and the guys were going you gotta buy the bike that you're spending that kind of money you gotta buy the bike that feels the best yeah so yeah yeah so is it 
I don't know if this is a stupid question or not, but is it a 29er? It's a 29er. It's full suspension. I've never had a full suspension bike. And after riding a full suspension bike, my old back feels a lot better. Awesome. Yeah. Because you're not beating it up with the hardtail. It's just amazing the difference coming down some of the trails on a hardtail bicycle. And uh, yeah, I just feel so much better after my rides. Yeah. Good. So, awesome. Yeah. Um, and your back, I mean, I, you've had some back problems and I assume it's just from firefighting. So, well, I think it's a combination of, of firefighting. Actually, the first time I think I may have really heard it was, um, working on the second house that we built. Oh, okay. And, uh, we were rolling over a, a beam and, um, I remember it hurting then and, you know, firefighting, construction, uh, basketball, tennis, all those things I think have contributed to my, yeah, my ailments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, before I forget, we poured some cocktails, you made some cocktails, uh, for the podcast, a shtick of the podcast is people bring on their favorite cocktail and then, uh, we chat about it and you tell me either what went into it or, or why it's your favorite cocktail. Okay. Okay. Up to you. You're up. So, uh, I've been on the quest for the best Long Island iced tea since <laughs> about 1981. Um, when mom and I got married, there was a, a restaurant close to where we lived called Cal Islands. And that's the first time that we had Long Island iced teas. Yeah. And, um, since then we've we've loved them and we've had them at different places and we've got some you know great experiences uh things that we talk about and that we remember uh you know doing there was a marie calendars close to us and uh we would go there and play pac-man on one of those cocktail pac-man tables yeah and we'd drink long island iced teas and eat potato skins that's and awesome it's just a, yeah it's a great memory it's just we go there that's that was kind of our dinner and go yeah. into the bar and have potato skins and drink long island iced teas nice awesome and take a cab home yeah yeah um so i know when i was playing football at boise state and probably even before i got to boise state you guys would go to suds and order long island iced teas suds is a bar um next to end zone which is another bar but they're kind of the boise state bars that people kind of go to if they're not tailgating before football games right and they named the long islands after you <laughs> yeah they called them they called them gherkies yeah and other people would go in there and order gherkies and you know i think the only difference between a regular long island is a, and a gherky was the other name for it was a strong island so oh. <laughs> I'd watch them make those and they were, they were very strong and yeah. they were very good. Uh, you know, shout out to suds. They were long islands were great. And yeah. mom and I are in our, our group would walk in and before we sat down, they would be bringing us over, uh, gherkies. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. Um, shout out to Scott Bernie, who is now, I think he's the sole owner operator, right? Of suds. So I think there's a, I think Scott and I can't think of the other guy's name right okay. now, but I think both of them own suds right now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We have a lot of, yeah. Great place. A lot of great memories there. Yeah. Lots of fun there. Um, yeah. I think about it and just, uh, yeah, we had amazing times there. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I'm going to try it. I have not taken a sip yet. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. All right.
So for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Long Island is equal parts of rum, gin, tequila, and vodka, and then a half part of triple sec, and then uh, sweet and sour with a splash of Coke. It is it is delicious, and I would never know that all that booze is in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people say a shot at each one of those and a half shot of triple sec, but that's... Uh, that's kind of hard to do. And, you know, so it's just equal parts of yeah. those in a, you know, half part of triple sex. So pretty good. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's delicious. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I mean, I don't know if you want to chat about this, the Tom Petty album that you brought, or can I just say something about it before? Oh yeah. Okay. Definitely. So I know I'm not going to say anything about why you have it, but, um, today is actually, the one year anniversary when uh, Dan Paul passed away. Oh, wow. Which I cannot believe it's already been a year. Oh. Uh, but Dan was a huge, huge fan of Tom Petty. Um, and we used to listen to Tom Petty on his record player when we lived together. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty yeah. cool. Just seeing the, the album cover. But I'll, I'll let you talk about the album. So, well, I just brought an album with me. I figured at some point today we might talk about uh, uh, music. And this was the first Tom Petty album that I ever purchased, and I bought it in 1979 when it when it came out. It was uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' third album. It's Damn the Torpedoes. Um, it's a great album. It's got a lot of great songs on it. Uh, my favorite song on it, which is kind of funny because there's, like I said, there's a lot of great songs, but my my favorite song on it is uh, Even the Losers. Okay, yeah. It's, it's just a good song. Yeah. But uh Love Tom Petty. Um, one of my best experiences when was when all of us, the whole family, yeah, mom, me, you, Jenny, Abby, went to a Tom Petty concert. Yeah, two thousand two thousand fourteen. Yeah, and Steve Winwood opened up. Mom and I couldn't think of his name on the oh. podcast, and mom was on it. But yeah, yeah. And then mom and I were lucky enough to go to Red Rocks in Colorado and see Tom Petty on his last tour, um, fifth row center it, it was just an incredible experience ton of fun yeah. yeah awesome yeah and i i was looking at the album before we got started there are a number of hits on this i mean i i don't know if you have any notes about the other songs that are on it well you know all i wanted to say is there there are a number of hits on it but it's just kind of funny with with music and, and albums and stuff like that. And you and I chatted about this the other day, like what, you know, maybe your favorite song is and, and that can change depending on the day, depending on your mood, uh, yeah. you know, just depending on what's going on in your life. And, uh, I just, I just really like even the losers. I've always liked it. Um, not because I'm a loser. I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's just a great song. It is a great song, but yeah. Side one opens up with refugee. Here comes my girl. Even the Losers, Shadow of a Doubt, and Century City. And then side two is Don't Do Me Like That, You Tell Me, What Are You Doing in My Life? And then it ends with Louisiana Rain, which, I mean... That Louisiana this, Rain is such a great song. This might such be the a great song. best Tom Petty album there is. <laughs> it, it might be, but, you know, I mean, he's got like, what, 13 studio albums and, uh, you know, and then all the other stuff that he's done. You know, he's done solo... Well, yeah, solo albums. Or I'm not sure well, if that's what you really call it, but well, he they, left the... They, uh, what do you call it? 
they like separate. If you look him up on Spotify, there's Tom Petty by himself. Right. And then I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Free Fallen is just a Tom Petty album or if it's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. But I know that some of the hits are under just Tom Petty and not under Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Right. Right. So I don't know what differentiates it, but. Yeah. Not sure. Maybe yeah. I should know that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of funny with uh, I always um, kind of relate certain songs to family members. Yeah. And, you know, for mom, it's uh, Here Comes My Girl. Yeah. And for for uh, Jenny, it's Running Down a Dream, yeah. which is just a perfect example. You know, does I mean, she have that? She's a runner. And, does she have that tattooed on her? Or did she think about it? She was it? thinking about it. I don't think she did that. Yeah. No. Okay. She has a tattoo of a, of a runner, but like a stick figure runner. And yeah. I think she was going to put Running Down a Dream on it. And I don't think she did. Okay. And for Abby, of course, free falling, and there's a story behind that. And it's <laughs> if if anybody that listens to this knows me, they know me. I'm a great Tom Petty fan, and then they probably heard this story before. But I was mowing the front lawn when we lived in California, our house in Moore Park, and uh, I shut the mower off, and Abby's window was open, and she had the song "Free Falling." blaring and yeah. she was screaming the words to it and she was eight or nine years old and i thought for <laughs> a minute there i thought this is just one of the greatest parental moments ever i thought i've done well yeah you yeah, yeah. you yeah. caught her listening to your favorite artist yeah yeah so we didn't mention or i didn't mention a, a tom petty song for you um and it's kind of funny because i had your ringtone tone a long time ago as uh journey don't stop believing and you always question why well no i know why i just i'm not personally a fan of that song but i but i know why and it's because of football and it's because of sandpoint when i was in high school we played sandpoint up there and yeah and that was i think that was the song on our highlight film for that game so okay so what song do you think uh best fits you uh tom petty song well the song so so the song that I think about when I think about you is uh, You Don't Know How It Feels. You Don't Know How It Feels. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and it's not, I mean, obviously there's a there's a lyric, like the chorus is, let's get to the point, let's roll another joint. Um, and that's not the reason it makes me think of you. Um, it's, I don't know, it's, you and I are both emotional guys, and um, I think the... Uh, the sentence like you don't know you don't know how it feels to be me i don't know i it's just something well, that we kind of share and then there's also the lyric at the end yeah. of the song um so it's i don't know there's like the bridge and then they go into the third verse and it says um my old man was born to rock he's still trying to beat the clock and at jenny's wedding you and i like screamed that at each other yeah when yeah. we were dancing and then at my wedding i was worried i didn't know where you were because that song came on and we were dancing to it. And I, I like looked out into the field because Debbie and I got married um, on Jenny's property, which is like seven acres. And we were out in the middle of the field dancing. And I turn like right at that point in the song. And I saw you from like 50 yards away. And we both pointed at each other and we like we're looking at yeah, each other. We yelled that yeah. lyric. Yeah. Yeah. We so, had that moment. Yeah. 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 Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a great song. And it's a great, uh, it's a great line in that song. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. So, um, one of your 
co-workers, Ben Simpson was on. He was actually the fourth guest on the podcast. And he had a lot of good, you know, stories about life and, and um, stuff that he's learned and stuff that he likes to apply to his everyday life. And I was hoping that him and I would talk about some firefighter stuff, but we, we just didn't have a chance to get into that. We just kind of talked and rambled and it got to an hour and 30 and um, we just didn't have a chance to, but I was hoping to either hear some stories or hear what it was like growing up in Los Angeles and then becoming part of the LA fire department. Well, growing up in Los Angeles, and, and I'm going to tie this into Tom Petty real quickly. I grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles called Reseda, and in the song "Free Falling," they talk yeah. about Reseda. So it's just like, and it's kind of funny at the at the concert at Red Rocks, you could hear Mom and me screaming, "Yeah, Reseda!" You know, and it's like <laughs> yeah. people around us like, "Where are the what the heck is Reseda?" You know, but uh, yeah. it's pretty cool that that's in his song, and uh, um. Yeah, I grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles, and uh, you know, when I was young, my mom was into your grandmother Rita. Yeah, was into uh, basically chasing fire engines, and we had a fire station <laughs> close to us. And if she knew that there was a fire burning, she would want to go watch it. And yeah. I remember one day, she came flying into the driveway. It was a rainy day. And she had this white and red Rambler, or we had this white and red Rambler station wagon. She comes flying into the driveway and like slams on the brakes and she gets out and she says, kids, Mermax is on fire. Mermax was a hardware store that we used to go to and we'd jump in the, jump in the car and go watch these fires. And I remember at least going to watch three fires. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so maybe my mom kind of helped uh, with that uh, push for me to be a fireman. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I got on the fire department uh, in 1978, uh, three years after graduated from high school. And uh, I got assigned to South Central Los Angeles, which is kind of the inner city of, of Los Angeles. And uh, it's kind of an eye opening for me going to an area like that, yeah. having never been to an area like that. So where where is Reseda in relation to South Central? Is it north? So Reseda is, is north, and it's in the San Fernando Valley. So the San Fernando Valley is part of the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, and when you talk to people from L.A., they refer to it as the valley, right? The valley. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I went through the, the academy or the drill towers, we called it, the training, and I got assigned to a station down in uh, South Central Los Angeles, and I'll kind of tell you a story about my first day there. It was actually, I had gone to visit the station, which they recommended to do before you came to your assigned shift, so I got to go in and, you know, kind of meet the guys and stuff, and um, so my first morning, you're supposed to get there at 6.30 in the morning and, uh, you know, make the coffee, put the flag up and all that stuff. And, yeah. And they tell you to kind of get there a little bit earlier. So I uh, I get there, knew where the key was, opened up, go in the kitchen, and there's this guy sitting in his underwear drinking coffee at the table. <laughs> <laughs> and his first name was Fred. I can't remember his last name. And he was the engineer slash driver pump operator on one of the other shifts there yeah and he said uh to me he goes uh he goes uh are you the new fireman on the a shift and of course i said yes sir and he 
tells me to sit across from it from the table <laughs> from him and I'm like what the heck is going on you know and yeah. he says uh to me he says hey I got one thing to tell you he says your captain is you know I can use all, I don't know how many words what kind of words you, I can use can, on here you can use ex- expletives yes he says your captain is a fucking asshole <laughs> and I'm just like okay what you know here I am this brand new guy and is this guy messing with me yeah it, and if he's not, I, th- I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, I, I have a, I have this captain that's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Well, he, he was a fucking asshole. And actually that day he was on vacation and the chief comes by to meet me and basically tells me the same thing. Yeah. So you'd spend three months at a, at a station and, and I spent three months with this guy and he was a fucking asshole. And I yeah. learned a lot from the other guys at the fire station though that were there. And then I moved on to another station. So did they kind of teach you how to deal with a boss that just was a jerk kind of thing? I mean, did, cause I know you said you've worked with other guys that are assholes too in the fire department. Yeah. You know, when you have 3,500 guys on the fire department, you know, there's, there's going to be some assholes there. Yeah. Yeah, So, but you know, it just, these guys were older guys and, um, you know, they just kind of, one of the guys especially just kind of took me under his wing and, um, just told me, look, you got three months here. Just try to get through your time here and then move on to, to your next station. And that actually talking about that guy, um, he was a great guy. You know, he was kind of a, I, you know this, but I didn't, grow up with a father my dad died when I was six weeks old and uh so you know you kind of do some things and you you know you you hopefully get some guidance from different people my mom was grandma Rita was great yeah she was uh I never felt like I didn't have a dad and I think when I told her that before that that just made her feel really really good that's awesome but like most firemen um I went to a Chevy dealership and I went to, I went, I ordered this brand new Chevy truck, four wheel drive. It was root beer Brown. It was just had everything on it and stuff. And I go back to the station and I'm telling this guy that I'm going to buy this truck. And he goes, let me give you a little, little heads up. He says, there's a lot of great used vehicles out there. He goes, instead of buying a brand new truck, he says, I think if I were you, I'd go out and buy a house. Yeah. If you can. Yeah. And that was good. Uh, it was just good advice. Um, within the first month of me being on the fire department, I bought a house, um, which was, uh, which was a good move. I didn't buy that truck. I I ended up buying a used truck, but yeah, but that's okay. So your, and your house, what street was your house on? Cause I know we looked it up on Zillow recently. Chimeneas. Chimeneas. Yeah. C H I M I N E A S. And I grew up on Chimeneas. Yeah. I grew up at, seven five two four Chimeneas and my first house that I bought was at seven zero four four Chimeneas. How how far away was it? Yeah, just a few blocks. Okay. Yeah. Six blocks, something like that. How how much did you buy the house for when you got on when you first got on the fire department? Uh, I bought that house for forty thousand dollars. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and then I we looked it up recently on Zillow and I don't remember do you remember how much it was? I I think like right now it might be worth 600,000 or something. Okay. It yeah. it was a two bedroom, one bath, about 780 square feet. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah. But it was great advice from this guy. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I want to get 
Mike Morell on the podcast yeah. because he's been kind of instrumental in helping me and Debbie uh, financially, just like kind of knowing what to do with our money because um, we both, you know, we have fairly good jobs, um, 401ks, taking advantage of all that stuff at work, uh, purchasing a house, not being stupid, um, buying things that we don't need. And at some point, I'd like to get him on because the technicalities of things are so ingrained in his mind about, you know, why why buying a house is so much better than buying a car. And obviously, you know, one's an appreciating asset, one's a depreciating asset. Um, and if you buy a brand new car, obviously it, lose a ton, it loses a ton of value right off the bat. Um, and then the different kind of loans that you can get, whether it's a 30-year, 15-year, um, the interest rate, a lot of people, when they go and get approved for a loan, the loan officer tells them, hey, based on your salary, you can afford a $2,500 mortgage. Right. And it's like some people just take that because the loan officer says it and, and a lot of people aren't educated on on what to do in that situation or like if they hear $2,500, they should probably cut that in three and use that as like their starting point instead of... Right. But... You know, I remember... I remember people saying that you should ex- you should extend yourself a little bit more, you know, because you're going to get raises and stuff like that. And yeah. I mean, that's just one person's opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't really like that opinion, you know, because it's uh, I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. We, You'll we, say, save save money on interest in the long run. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what like what kind of loan did you get for a forty thousand dollar house? I mean, do you even remember or? Yeah, I remember it was somewhere around, it was a 10% loan because, you know, interest rates were way up then. Um, when mom and I bought our first house, I think that was like a 10% loan. We we got a second loan to put in our, our landscaping and we put a pool in that house. Yeah. Um, and that was like 13% for a second. Wow. You know? And it's funny because you just think that I mean, I remember thinking that's just the way it is and interest rates are going to continue to go up. I wasn't educated enough with loans to understand that, uh, the, you know, the prime rate would fluctuate, would go up and down yeah. you know, with certain, uh, certain things in the economy and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Right on. Okay. So, so you bought that house on Chimeneas and then how long did you live there before you met mom, or no, you and mom obviously already knew each other because you went to high school together. Right, um, right. But when did you guys buy your first house? Well, we bought our house before we got married. We got married in 1981, and I I already had the house in Reseda. Um, but I had, for a while, I moved back into my in with, into my mom's house, and I rented that house out. Okay. Um, then I bought a house with uh, Brian Raleigh, Okay. Brian and I bought a house together and we lived in that stuff. And then, uh, when we got married, when mom and I got married, we bought a house in Canyon country, which is North LA County. It's further North than San Fernando Valley. Okay. And that was our first house. Bought that in 1981. And then we only lived in it about a year. And that's when I got the, the itch to build a house. Yeah. And we, uh, I started looking out in Ventura County, Newberry Park area, which is kind of northwest of Los Angeles, and uh, um, found a lot that I wanted to buy. And, you know, I, I kind of went to mom and, and just said, uh, hey, what do you think about 
buying this lot, building the house, selling our house and moving into the house in Reseda. And right away, you know, her eyes got big and she's like moving into the house in Reseda. Yeah. You know, not that mom needed a big house, but you know, we had a nice home. We put a pool in we did some nice things to it and stuff. And yeah, you know, we're now we're going to move into this little 700 square foot house, but it was a good plan. The plan was to move into that house. Um, Mom was working down in Century City, you know, so she drove. She had a little bit less of a commute from from Reseda down into Century City. And uh, I was able to work a bunch of overtime, like uh, uh, 10 or 12-hour overtimes. And 10 or 12-hour overtime days, I worked a bunch of those. And our plan was to pay the lot off before we started building on it. So that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then that got the... Got the itch for me to build houses, and uh, so that was how, how many you, you build. You built five houses, built six houses, or six houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a lot of fun. A yeah. lot of fun. Learned a lot and had a great time doing it. And so yeah. you, I hope you know, because mom's been scrapbooking, and I don't know if this is a newer scrapbook or one of the old scrapbooks that she has, but Debbie was flipping through one of those scrapbooks. My wife Debbie was flipping through one of those scrapbooks. And she saw the pictures of you and mom working on the house and it like sparked her to want to build a house. And I, I'd love to do it too. I think it'd be a great experience to do it together, me and Debbie. Um, but yeah, Debbie is like, I don't know. She has romanticized it so much because of you guys. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the first house we built in Newberry park, we put a, a mobile home on it and we lived out there and, um, you know, I got pictures of mom, working on the house, you know, and stuff and framing yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a great time. I loved being a fireman, but I really, really loved building houses. Yeah. And yeah. I know you said, uh, I mean, it's just funny. Some of the stuff that's building techniques that are different or like small details that are different now, but you said that you framed a house without a nail gun, right? You framed it by actually hammering nails yeah the first house that we built um i hired a guy that was a burbank california fireman and then a buddy of mine tom war you know tom yep yep and myself the three of us framed that house um with without a nail gun the whole <laughs> thing was swinging a hammer yeah i mean every bit of it was swinging a hammer and um and it made you appreciate the nail guns once you started using them yeah yeah, yeah. have you have you been back to that house, that first house that you built? I've never been back in it, but I've been back by it a number of times. Yeah. I've driven by it and stuff. Have it, they done anything to it or is it still? You know, I know they put a pool in. Um, it had a beautiful view of the Santa Monica Mountains and a mountain they called Mount Boney. Okay. And one of the great things about it being a mountain biker, um, you could ride out the garage and you could be on the trails in, in about two miles. Yeah. So, And then actually... On that same trail, just nine miles down that trail was the ocean, Sycamore Canyon. Okay. And so it was uh, it was pretty cool to, in fact, you know, since mom's been doing that scrapbooking and stuff, she, she had some pictures and you, you kids actually, well, you were in a, you were in a seat that I made up for the bike. Yeah. And then the girls rode their bikes down they were little so most of that going down they, sycamore canyon they rode their downhill bikes. all the way to the beach no way but what we would do is we'd take a car two cars to the beach in the morning leave one there and then come back home oh okay which was that was 
took us longer because we weren't going through the canyon on the dirt trail. Yeah. But I looked at that picture and I said, did we really do that? The girls rode their bikes to the beach and she's like, yeah. That's awesome. Nine miles. Yeah. Pretty cool. And how old? So they must have been like six and four or something or? Probably. Yeah. You you probably were two, but six, a six and four year old riding their bikes. (laughs) Nine miles. That's awesome. Yeah. It kind of blew me away, but yeah. 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 Yeah, Um, It was fun. Yeah, so uh, so you commuted. So we moved up to Boise in 2000. I was 10 years old. Abby was 12. And uh, Jenny was 14. And you continued to commute for 12 more years. Is that right? Yeah, I commuted down to L.A. for 12 more years um, working on the fire department. And, you know, you, you know about this, but um, Ben Simpson, who was on the podcast, uh, he was my shift trade partner. Yeah. So he had lived in Durango. He moved he moved out of the LA area, I think, sometime after the um the riots and the earthquake and stuff like that. And he yeah. left, moved to Durango. And you know, I knew Ben. I wasn't really good friends with him or anything at the time, but uh, I knew who he was because he actually worked in the same battalion I did. He worked at a station that was, you know, just a few miles away. Um so I went and talked to Ben when we got interested in moving to Boise. I went and talked to Ben and uh, asked him how he did the commuting thing and how he traded his shifts and if he would be interested in committing to be my trade partner. And he said, yes, he would love that. So, yeah. you know, we just, I think the first time we, we visited Boise was in 1993. Yeah. Um, flew there with Scott and Patty Hall, who got us interested in Boise, Idaho. And, uh, and I think we flew there in January and just kind of hung out, saw it snow and just kind of fell in love with it. And then we came back uh, in June. We drove back with the kids, yeah. with you kids, and uh, fell in love with it. And, you know, I wasn't quite sure what, what was going to happen or what we would do. I mean, it's kind of kind of hard uprooting everybody and making that move. And some people thought we were crazy and some people applauded us because, uh, you know, they wanted to do something like that, but they didn't have the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just made a, <laughs> they didn't have the balls to do it. The balls to do it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, we just did it. You know, we just like, let's do it. So, yeah. You know, I know it was kind of hard for Jenny a little bit and I think you and Abby, uh, adapted fairly quickly you were young and made friends in the neighborhood and it was kind of an adventure yeah um jenny was a little bit older and you know we we took all of you away from your friends but uh you know i mean all of you and i would just say especially jenny have become diehard idahoans yeah you yeah. know i mean she's an outdoor person and just loves it and yeah i know you guys do and i i think it's worked out for us what do you think <laughs> yeah i think it's worked out very well i was actually i was actually thinking about that somewhat recently it was post-college when i was thinking about where would i be if we were still in los angeles or if we were still you know in ventura and i think a lot of football talent gets lost in the mix down there and they probably don't have the kind of opportunities I did growing up in a, in a smaller city that has a big football team. And so I, I mean, if I was the same skill level in high school in California that I was here, I don't think I would have gotten picked up by a school like Boise state. So, yeah, you know, probably not. And I always think about stuff like that too. You know where, I mean, we lived in a nice community, 
before we moved, we lived in Moore Park, California, and uh, it was great and all of that. But uh, I always wonder what it would be like, you know, if uh, well, we hadn't moved. So Debbie and I went down there in March, and we it was very cool being there as an adult because the last time we went there was when Gary passed away, your brother-in-law passed away. Right. And that was f- four years ago maybe or... Yeah, I think it was four years ago. Four years ago that Gary passed away. And I I mean, we went down there, we hung out with family, we went to the funeral, and then we came back to Boise. So there wasn't really a lot of time to explore. But when I just went down there with Debbie, we rented a car and we spent like five days in Los Angeles. We stayed in West Hollywood, we stayed in Thousand Oaks, we stayed in Moore Park, and then we drove back and stayed in Los Angeles again. I mean, it was... It was cool to get the lay of the land like as an adult and just see like how far you had to commute, kind of what the freeways were like, what the sights were like when you guys would drive on the freeways, and then uh, like driving back to Los Angeles from the Ventura area because we, we went all the way up to the Reagan Library right. in Thousand Oaks. Yeah. And then I don't know what highway it is, but you take a highway to the west and it meets up with the one and you drive down like through Malibu all the way back to Los Angeles. And I know you guys told us to stop a couple places where you guys used to, to camp like on the beach. Yeah. We used to go to Leo Carrillo all the time. And, uh, used, I used to surf there. Um, and it's kind of funny that you said the one, because oh, some do, people don't, you know, well, that, what do they call it? No, that's what they call it. Uh, but, but you know, some people laugh at people from California that call their highways. I mean, here we call it, the free eight, the freeway freeway or we call it 84 55 yeah. yeah you know down there it's the one the 101 the 405 yeah the five yeah it's always got a the in front yeah, of yeah, it yeah. <laughs> there's a whole joke about that and there's like an snl yeah. skit i don't know yeah. if you've seen it yeah but where people are like yeah you take the there's like 15 different ways to take <laughs> one route to get somewhere but so Back then, when I I'm gonna go back to being a fireman, I had a, a 1967 Volkswagen Bug that was a just a great car. I wish I still had it, and that's yeah. what I would drive to my my first fire sta- station, Fire Station 21 down South Central. Yeah, and dude I, the 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 thought of you driving a 67 Bug in like <laughs> I don't know when it was 1978 yeah. to a fire station. I don't know. That's like the coolest thing. It just sounds <laughs> rad. But, but the guys at the fire station, you know, it was dark when you'd get off the freeway and the guys at the fire station told me, don't ever, don't ever sit at a red light. Don't ever sit at a red light, pull up to the red light, look both ways and just go through the led, red light because of the danger yeah. of being down there. It yeah. wasn't a great area. What, what, so what fire station was it? It, it was fire station 21. Okay. It was actually... Well, I don't want to get off on the, I don't know if anybody remembers the SLA shootout. Oh, the Symbian oh. Liberation Army shootout. It was in Fire Station's 21's district. Which that's is, not the the Hollywood sh- shootout? No, that's not the North Hollywood okay, shootout. Okay, not the no. North Hollywood shootout. No. What's, what was the SLA shootout? Uh, gosh, I can't, I'm going to have trouble thinking of uh, her name here, but they kidnapped. Oh, I, you'll... Uh, Oh, I think name? I know what you're talking about. I forget, but yeah. mom will know her name right yeah. away, you know, and I can't yeah. even think of it, but, uh, they kidnapped her. They thought she, the, the, the SLA just did a lot of crazy stuff and a lot of lawless stuff. And they had kidnapped, uh, 
this gal, and I think they wanted a ransom for her, and supposedly it, she was held up there. And it wasn't Chelsea Clinton, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's damn funny. <laughs> uh, okay, so so Highway 21 in a bad area, getting off the freeway. Station 21. Or Station yeah, 21, yeah. sorry. Getting off the freeway. Bad area, you wouldn't stay at stoplights. I mean, did guys get, like, carjacked there? Yeah, they. in fact, they told me, they said, if you had a gun, to keep it on your seat. But at the time, I didn't have a gun. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was a good place. It was a good place to work. It was a lot of fun, and it was a good place to start out because you, we went through a lot of fires. Um, my captain, like I had told you, was kind of a jerk. Kind of a jerk. <laughs> kind of what I think I said, fucking asshole. Yeah, but, yeah. And his name... <sighs> Well, his name, last name was McManagill, and they called him McGilla Gorilla. He was this big dude. And these other stations around us, um, I mean, obviously everybody knew this about him, that he was a fucking asshole, and they, he had this nickname. And But the first, the first call that I went on was a structure fire call with two other stations around us, and there was, there was nothing there. It was a false alarm, but all of a sudden... I saw these bananas come flying at our fire engine from these other fire engines, these other stations because of the (laughs) Magilla gorilla, what they called them. And they started throwing bananas and I'm just like, what the hell's going on? (laughs) But it, you know, it was just kind of the beginning of, of the craziness on the fire department that I experienced at that first station. So some of the stuff you've told me, I mean, it's, it's mind blowing that some of that stuff used to happen because, you know, when I was thinking about getting on the fire department here or thinking about law enforcement, I mean, I feel like they've cracked down on the hazing stuff so much that, I mean, you can't even do anything now without, I mean, especially like the racial stuff, the um, gender stuff, like you can't even joke about certain things and HR will get you fired immediately. I mean, without. Yeah. 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 It was pretty crazy. I mean, we could have a whole discussion on some of the fun stuff that we did, but it was, <laughs> you know, a lot of that stuff was a way to, you know, kind of release your tension and stuff because we saw a lot of bad things. Yeah. I mean, we saw a lot of bad things every day and, you know, you, you just, you, you needed something like that to just to kind of, to kind of come back to the station and laugh about yeah laugh at anything not laugh about what the call that you went on but you know the some of the stuff that uh i mean i remember there's there's still there's still three calls that are in my head and i've seen worse things than those three calls but those three calls were early on in my career and i didn't know how to deal with them yet yeah so those are the three things that i mean they're like vividly in my head yeah and, um, you know, but like, just, yeah, just kind of crazy. I mean, I had a traffic accident one time with a, a Ford Pinto and they were known to, if they got rear-ended because of the gas tank, they would blow up and there yeah. were five, five young ladies in that car that, uh, went to Cal State Northridge, you know, and they all burned up in that and that, and that's just like that. And, you know, a couple other things and stuff, but, uh, yeah. But then you, you 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 learn how to deal with it, you know. You learn. I mean, some people deal with it differently, but uh, you know, just kind of screwing around and releasing your tension at the firehouse when you get back from something like that is yeah. is a way to was a way to 
Maybe it still is. I don't know. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I I think it's crucial to have something to take your mind off it. And it's funny. I think you, you and Debbie should probably have a discussion soon about stuff like that because she, she said something to me yesterday because she's been having kind of a, not a tough time with her job, but it's just kind of a weird time because of the coronavirus stuff. And there's, you know, a lot of crazy cases coming into her unit because they've designated her unit as the coronavirus unit because she has 10 negative pressure rooms there. So they can put a person in the room and not have to worry about infecting the whole unit. Um, But yesterday she said, I think I'm getting addicted to the work. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And because, you know, it's been hard and we talk about, you know, her shift and what stuff she's gone through and the kind of patience she's had. And, you know, I think she's, not that she's disliked it, but it's been kind of tough doing it. But I think that tough part of the job she kind of craves now. Oh. Which is, yeah. I mean, it's like she said when she's at home, all she thinks about is getting back there and helping the patients. So, you know, with that's interesting because with the fire department, you know, we used to have, we would add like four days off at a, at a time. And if you, if, if you enjoy your job and what you're telling me about Debbie right now, I, I actually think that's a great thing. Yeah. And, and it, it just depends on how you, how you make it work, you know, with your family, with your, with your other part of your lives and stuff. But I mean, there were times I was off for four days and, you know, I'm off with my family and stuff, but I was like, I want to go back to work. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you kind of want to be, and I think Debbie's in this situation is you kind of want to be tested. Yeah. You want your skills to be tested. Um, you know, when you're working in a busier, when I was working in a busier area, you know, we were going to fires every day. Yeah. Um, so your skills were, were honed and tested during those times and stuff, but working at a slower, slower station or whatever, you know, it was, I mean, I always told somebody, I always told people that I wish that every day I had a fire on the third floor of an apartment building, but deep in the deep in the apartment building. So it took some skills to get your hose line there to get everything developed and put into place and then put the fire out. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about it is with like one unit of an apartment building, there's not a lot of cleanup. So the fun part is using your skills and your knowledge and your training to get that line in place, to get that, you know, if it's on the third floor, to get that line up on the third floor and, and then put the fire out. And, you know, it's just, it it makes you feel good when you're doing something like that. Right. Yeah. And and I think you crave that. Yeah. You know, that, that's your job and there's nothing wrong with craving what Debbie is craving. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the being tested part is huge because you do all this studying about, you know, whether it's EKGs or um, reading a new piece of technology that somebody has um, implanted in their heart or a pacemaker or a stent, whatever it is, and, you know, kind of triaging the problem and figuring out exactly what's wrong. And, you know, she gets to work with the docs and figure out what exactly is wrong with the patient or what, um, what kind of heart rhythm they're throwing out. And they, I mean, they can figure out what's wrong just based on the heart rhythm. I mean, it's crazy to me that she's able to do that stuff. Yeah. 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 But no, it's great. Yeah. Were you, 
were you an EMT? I mean, I know eventually you probably had to become an EMT, but they, you could just be a firefighter, right? Yeah. When I got on, you could just be a firefighter and they trained you in CPR and, and first aid and stuff. And then at some point it was mandated that everybody becomes an EMT. And, you know, guys kind of fought that because it was just, uh, you know, we firemen wanted to just go to fires. Yeah. Yeah. And, when and I not, first, not medical calls. Yeah. yeah. When I, when I first got on, they wouldn't even dispatch us to medical calls unless the paramedics asked for help. And then we would go, um, I know I'm getting off on something different. No, but you're it, good. But, it, but it's kind of like the same. But you know Scott Christie, right? Yeah. So I worked with Scott Christie. And Scott Christie was a paramedic on our fire department. He was a single-function paramedic, and I was a single-function fireman. Yeah. And so they would go out on calls. Um, and those those paramedics got their asses kicked. They They just were so busy, and there was so much going on with them and stuff. And so... Some of the stuff around the firehouse, the goofing off and stuff. I mean, there was there were things where we would throw buckets of water on people from the roof and stuff <laughs> like that. And so you would you'd kind of mess with these paramedics. Well, Scott Scott figured out a way to mess with us. And during the middle of the night, when they would go out on a call, he would ask for an engine company oh, to no assist way. them. And then when he would hear the ambulance. <laughs> When he would hear the ambulance, he'd just cancel us. Yeah. So all it did is it got us. It got it just us got out, you of out of bed. <laughs> yeah. And my captain was this guy. This captain I had Bob Brooks, and he was just a Bob Brooks was a great guy. Uh, he died like a brain cancer like two years after he retired. But yeah, um, great guy. Really, uh, uh, just just I don't know. It's almost like a dad figure for me a little bit but, yeah i uh, had a great time working with him and so at one point he talked to us and he said look i gotta talk to scott we gotta stop doing this because i don't want to get up at night yeah anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta like like make friends with the paramedics yeah yeah and scott became one of one of my great friends um, well scott became a firefighter right and then yeah he became a captain too. No, Scott never made captain. Oh, not okay. Scott Christie. Yeah, sorry. Scott sorry. Scott Christie ended up getting on the L.A. County Fire Department and and directly went to a station in like Malibu, California, oh, yeah. by the beach. And yeah. it's like because he had been six years getting his butt <laughs> butt kicked on the what city a, fire department. What does a fireman in Malibu do? They drive over to the beach with their coffee and they look at, <laughs> out at the beach. They run on the beach. They, but you know, they got a lot of fires. I mean, they got brush fires. They got in, in Malibu Canyon and um, Pacific Coast Highway, which is called PCH. A lot of nasty, nasty crashes. On yeah, those places. I'm sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Scott Christie by far was the best paramedic I've ever been around. Really cool, calm, collected. I got to tell you just a quick story about him. Okay. So, so we go on this call and I'm working at my third station on probation. And I think I was already off probation. So I was at fire station 46 and I don't know what the call was, but it was a medical call and we went with them or they asked for us and we come walking in and, um, there's this big, big guy standing in the doorway of a bathroom yeah. And he's yelling at us and stuff and he's just he's screaming at us and you know, I'm not sure what's going on. And Scott Scott was a pretty big guy back then, um, lifted weights a lot and stuff. And Scott just immediately walks up to the guy 
and he gives him a forearm under the chin. <laughs> and, I mean, the guy filled up the doorway, and the doorway is what six eight, yeah, you know, and he's a big guy. This this guy was, and so S- Scott saw this potential problem, and he took care of it the best way he thought he should, and yeah. he knocks the guy back. So it's a you know it's a regular bathroom that's five foot wide and it's got a it's got a sink a, a toilet and a tub yeah a tub with a um, shower curtain on it and this guy goes flying back knocks the shower curtain down he's in the he's in the tub and and Scott knocked him out oh my god and he turns to me and he says so when you have somebody with a neck injury you 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 C spine them which is <laughs> you 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 treat them for a cervical spine yeah. But basically, you're putting a, you're putting a collar on them and you're tying them down. Yeah. So he just goes, go get the C-spine stuff. So yeah. we got this dude that's probably 6'8", 260 pounds. That yeah. He controlled him the way he knew best. <laughs> as, a, as a paramedic, yeah. As a paramedic, yeah. So were they... So were you guys on that call to deal with somebody else then in the I I have I can't remember that part of it because yeah. this part's still so vivid in my mind. Yeah. I have no reason why I have no idea why we were there. Yeah. 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 So Well, and another thing that I I would like you to tell this story and I know it's funny whenever you start telling stories now, I kind of roll my eyes because I feel like I've heard all the stories, but I I encourage you to tell them now. But you you almost got shot um, when you went on a call. And I mean, I don't know if it's just people trying to demonize authority figures, no matter who they are. Because I mean, when you guys dress up in your, I, I don't know what you call them, not your your turnouts, but your your other gear where you're in your blues and you have your badge. Yeah, just you, our uniforms. You Just your normal uniform. Yeah. You kind of look like a cop. Like a, to, a per, to a stupid person, you would look like a cop to them. So but, the so the so the non officers, the guys that drove the rig and the firefighters, we wore like a blue uniform. Yeah, um, and boots. Yeah, yeah, boots and um, um, yeah, and we had a badge on and stuff like that. But when you worked in certain areas, like where I worked in South Central Los Angeles, you when you went out on a call, and and by this time now we were going out on medical calls, and I was working at a station. Um, Fire Station 33. That's why I met Rick Denning. Yeah. He's a good friend of ours. Yep. Who lives here in Boise now. Just down the street from you. <laughs> right down the street from us. Yeah. Um, but 33's was a busy firehouse. And it was, it, it, one time it was probably the busiest firehouse in the in the United States. And they called it Fire City. And yeah. And that was its nickname. And uh, so I was working there. And we go out on this call. It was a medical call. And we we preceded the ambulance because we were closer and uh, we get there and it's, it's dark. It's kind of a hot night. Um, there were a lot of people's apartment house or a lot of people kind of milling around and stuff. And so I knew because I was experienced with working in the, um, in the hood. Yeah. Um, as we called it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> South central. So I would put my brush jacket on, which was yellow and I would, put a helmet on too yeah. so they knew that we we're firemen yeah i mean that's to me that is such a smart move yeah because you look like a cop when you're just wearing a blue uniform yeah. well then the captains wore black uniforms yeah um just i mean everything else was the same they had a black uniform and a badge and they looked like cops even more yeah so we had a cop work or we had a cop we had a 
a captain working that that day that was I don't think he had much experience working in the in the in that area in yeah, s- yeah. South Central Los Angeles and um, he was from another station I think by Los Angeles uh, International Airport and so he's working he gets off the fire engine and he doesn't he doesn't put his brush jacket on so he looks more like a cop than the than the rest of us because we were we we kind of had the experience and and knew how to dress going into this call yeah so go up these stairs a lot of people milling around kind of you know in the i don't know the outside area of the apartment because they're kind of u-shaped and um i had a rookie working with me young guy and we go up there and the captain's ahead of me and um i reach into the apartment try to turn a light on and there's no lights to turn on the light yeah. switch doesn't work or anything's dark in there yeah and as it turns out we got called because the the kid in the apartment this when i say kid he was a teenage kid and he was on pcp and actually the mom was on pcp too yeah um yeah i remember looking through the bedroom door and the this rookie fireman was kind of wrestling with this with this mom on the ground that was on PCP because they get kind of wild when they're on that stuff. Yeah, and uh, um, I see this this teenage kid lift the mattress up, and there's a gun under there. There's a long rifle under there. It ended up being a four ten gauge shotgun. Yeah, and so. At, at that time, we all didn't have radios, so I went back down to the rig and I grabbed a. I grabbed kind of a, a tool, a hydrant tool that I could use as a weapon, and I told the driver, I said, put out a help call. Um, if you put out a help call, it sends, everybody drops what they're doing on the police department, just put out, fireman needs help. Yeah. And so they start coming. So I go back up, and then this engineer eventually, he, he put out a help call, and he came up with it. He actually grabbed an ax, and Jeez. he comes back up. Yeah. But when I... When I come up, I'm kind of, you know, it's dark in there and stuff. And I, I turn around and this kid's got this shotgun pointed at my head. And I actually, I actually hear a click. It was kind of, it's an over and under shotgun that just has two shells in it. And yeah. I hear a click and I, I end up grabbing the gun and lifting it up. And then this, the, the driver, he gets up there and, uh, and we kind of wrestle this gun away from the guy. And I just remember I just remember having my having a kid on the ground, kid, whatever he was, 15, 16, 17, 18 years yeah. old, on PCP, and that makes you like super strong and stuff. Yeah. But I had my knee in his back and I had my hands on his head and I'm yelling at him, knock it off or I'm gonna break your neck. Yeah. Um once the cops all got there and seeing things calmed down and stuff, this cop comes up to me and he's got this four ten over and under shotgun broken open he goes there's your lucky day there's only one shell in there he pulled the wrong Fuck. trigger jesus yeah. yeah yeah that was kind of scary so i actually that night i went back to the fire station I'm, my hands are shaking and i i'm typing out transfers to go to the san fernando valley <laughs> i'm like i'm getting the hell out of yeah, here Fuck, man I, ro- I rolled the dice enough and yeah yeah but I had fun working there. It was it was a blast. Gave me a lot of experience. And I I could get. I mean, just you tell that story so great, and I could understand how you'd want to keep going back. Like just in that situation, it's like, you know, you go on these medical calls or whatever, and you get into 
crazy situations and you want to protect your brothers. And I mean, I understand why it would be addicting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the addicting part of it is going to the fires. Yeah. You like going to fires. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, we talked about that. It's just kind of test yourself and it's fun and it's, uh, um, I had a captain at that particular station. His name was Bert Brunwin. Uh-huh. And Bert was, well, he made captain and he went to another station. He went to a station in our battalion that was in Watts. Yeah. And it was. Uh, Watt, uh, Watts, for people who are listening sorry. who don't know. No, it's okay. Watts is the area in the 60s where the first LA riots broke out. Right. The Watts riots. The Watts riots. And then uh, is it the same area where the 92 riots broke out? Or similar? No, no, I mean, it's similar. Yeah, yeah. It was in South Central Los Angeles. I mean, South Cent- you have South Central Los Angeles, and then, you know, it's kind of weird when you you call it going deeper into the into the hood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> deeper is if you, like, Station 33 was at 64th and Main. Yeah. So um, Station 65, which is what I was going to tell you about, is, like, is probably at, like, 90th or something like that in central or you know deeper down down south yeah i mean it's uh and the further you go it just gets a little crazier yeah watts in my head what i picture aren't there like isn't there a monument like kind of some funky looking weird towers watts towers that's what i think of when i think of watts yeah yeah i don't remember the history of that and who built it and stuff like that but uh it's kind of crazy but this captain uh, he was, he made captain. He's a little bit, a little bit older guy, you know, when he made captain, he got sent to, he got sent to station 65 yeah. and, and he just was, it, it was, it made me realize that anybody can take a test and become a captain because I used to think that these captains were, were gods, you know, they were, they were way above me and their experience and stuff. And they were going to save me if anything ever happened. Yeah. And so this guy makes captain goes goes to station sixty five and the guys there hate him, and there were guys that made up his name was Bert Bronwyn. There was guys that name made up shirts that said I hate Bert and oh, they would wow. wear them to work. Wow! And then um, somebody made a tuna casserole for dinner and and half of it was made with cat food and oh so God. the first person that went up took the took it from the cat food side so that he would take it from the cat food side you know and yeah. They just had problems there with him. And so they sent him over to our station. And um, and I remember getting called into the front office, you know, and the the captains, the cap, the one captain was, we had a captain one and a captain two, and the captain two was in charge or whatever, you know. And so the captain two and the chief was there, and they said, hey, Bill. And I had, when I worked there, I had about four years on, you know, so not a ton of experience. Yeah. And they said, we're going to, we're taking this, our captain, who was Leo McDonald, and we're swapping him with this guy, Bert Brunwyn. And we're going to put you on the engine company full-time. So there's engine company, which pumps water. Yeah. Then there's a truck company that has the ladders and stuff. I'm going to put you on the engine company so you can watch this guy. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I got four years on the fire department, and you want me to watch this captain? Like keep an eye on him kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, keep an eye on him. Wow. Yeah. And he was just, he was just a, a handful. I mean, I can go on. I've got tons of stories to tell about him, but it just, uh, it, it, you know, that whole experience just woke me up to the fact that you just gotta, 
you just got to watch out for yourself too. Not every captain is, is a guy that's got a ton of experience and a ton of, you know, cause you just take a test and if you're good at taking tests and you're good at taking an interview, then you, yeah. you might make captain. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting too, because I've run into people in my professional life without getting too specific, but people in authority figures uh, in authority positions in my professional life that are people that should not be in those positions. I mean, yeah. it's just interesting. Like you put them up on a pedestal and you always hear, you know, these terms like manager or director. And then it's like, you meet the person and they're making certain decisions and you're like, how did you get this job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, it's just interesting. You know, we used to, we used to call the captains, whatever station commanders or whatever. And it's like that word command or commander. I don't really like, you know, it's, it, it's more like this person needs to be a leader, yeah. not a commander. Yeah. And if you, if you lead your guys into battle or lead you guys into, into fires or stuff like that, instead of commanding them, you're going to get more out of them. Yeah. 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 I, uh, Recent, I mean, I read a book recently about leadership that I think changed my perspective on a lot of things, um, especially at work. And I own a business on the side. And in those two areas, um, like you said, if you're not willing to do the work, you shouldn't be in that position. And I, the, the people on the football team, the coaches, the people in my professional life, the people I respect the most and the people that I want to follow into battle are the people that like I saw doing the work in front of me, not the people that were just sitting behind a desk yeah. telling you what to do. Yeah. Um, and there was one guy, I mean, I, I don't have any story. I don't have any war stories like yours, but when I first started working at St. Alphonsus, I had a, I had a manager and I think he became a director. His name was Kurt uh, Weedmeyer and he was in charge of supply chain. And I remember that there was some, some special cardiac product that was being shipped in from, I think it was somewhere in Michigan where they make this custom heart product. And this guy in the ICU was waiting for this certain product. And, and Kurt was back in supply chain, um, unloading stuff from these 53 foot trucks getting the pallets off the trucks and going through everything with the line level guys, helping them try to find this product because he knew how important it was. Yeah. And that was like the first week of me working there when I was still in grad school. And I saw that and I was like, okay, this, I respect the hell out of this guy because he's on the front lines with us. He knows what's important. He didn't just tell these guys to do it. He's out there with them right. doing it. Right. So, yeah. And yeah. you, you know, Scott Steffes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Scott Steffes lives here in Idaho. Now he was, uh, he was my last captain on the fire department and he was one of those guys. Yeah. Um, he was your captain, right? He was my captain at my last assignment, which is fire station 107 in Chatsworth, California, which is in the San Fernando Valley. And, um, it's just a great dude. He was just another, you know, you, you think he was just another fireman. Yeah. I mean, he was your station commander, but, but he was a leader and you would do anything for him because he would do anything for you. Yeah. And a lot of fun to work with. Um, he's kind of a, kind of a big dude, you know, and he's kind of funny. And, uh, uh, I'll just tell you a quick story about him. We went out on a call one night and, um, it was, a, it was just us and it was a smell of smoke. And so we get to the address 
And this lady's saying, yeah, I smell something in the backyard here. And so uh, Scott, my captain, and I go out in the backyard. The other two guys are on the fire and still, still sitting on the fire ends. And I go back and I'm looking around. And I kind of shine my light up and there's a street behind him that's kind of up a ways. Shine my light on and I see a bunch of smoke pouring out of the attic vents of this house. And yeah. I was always pretty calm and, and Scott's calm, but he's, he, <laughs> he's just kind of a big guy. And sometimes, you know, he gets a little, and I, and I go, uh, I go, Hey cap. I said, uh, I think that house behind us is on fire. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah. And he looks, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, gets on the radio and it says, Hey, we need you to fill out the assignment, which just means to send more fire engines, you know, and yeah. stuff. And, so we go out to the rig and we go around and we and we go to try to f- try to find this house and it wasn't s- super easy to find the streets were kind of funky and where that house was even though it was behind where we were we had to kind of find this street and we go up and um, lay a supply line from the fire hydrant so we have water and I pull off a line to the front door and these are big big nice houses and they had these this house had these big double oak doors and. I'm trying my darnest to kick this door in. Yeah. And we, we use, we do mule kicking, which is from behind, you know, and just like a mule, the way a mule kicks. And yeah. Because if you kick from the front, you can hyperextend your knee, right? That's the whole reason. That's the whole, and that's part of the story too, yeah. is I'm kicking that crap out of this door and I'm like, God, I can't get this freaking door open. Yeah. And, um, so Scott, my captain comes up and he goes, let me give it a try. And he kicks it straight on. <laughs> And he hyperextends his knee and he starts screaming. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's funny because he's screaming and he's laying, now he's falling down. He's laying in front of me and we, we get the door open and I go, uh, I go, Hey, Hey cap, can you move over so we can take the line? Can you get out of the way so we can take the line in and put the fire out? Yeah. But, uh, he's just a great guy. He's a good friend. And well, yeah, you, know, f- f- you want, you want someone, if somebody's, calling the shots you want to know that that person's going to be able to do the same stuff that he's telling you to do yeah and that makes you trust him more and debbie actually yesterday was talking about a doctor and i don't think she will even mind that i'm going to say who this doctor is but i know he's a cardiac icu doc his name's dr patel i don't know if he's a surgeon or not um but he was in a patient's room i think two nights ago and he was helping the nurse. Sometimes they have to prone patients, so they have to flip them over. And I think it just helps them breathe better or something if they're on a, on a ventilator. And he was in a patient's room with a nurse for an hour and a half, a medical doctor, and helping a nurse flip the patient over so the patient can breathe better. Wow. He didn't just tell the, the medical assistant and the nurse, hey, figure it out, flip him over because he has to be flipped over. He stayed in the room with them and did it with them. And how highly Debbie talks of Dr. Patel. I mean, I can tell he's that kind of person that she would follow into battle. So yeah. 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 On that kind of that same, just uh, talking about doctors. Yeah. I'm just amazed by the doctors in Idaho and, and I don't necessarily, it's not like they're, I don't know. It's, it's so different. It's like, they're regular people and they make you feel like you're a regular person too. When you, you know, I, I have a shoulder problem now and, um, everything's falling apart on me. You know that, but, 
So one sorry, of the doctors sorry. from from uh, Idaho Sports Medical Institute, which is which is the doctors that you use when you're at Boise State and yep. stuff. That Doctor Lewis, Doctor Scheffel, yeah, yeah. Doctor yeah. Scott Scheffel, great guy. I've seen is him. he the one that's doing your shoulder or? Well, I'm I'm dealing with Scheffel with my shoulder. If if I have to have surgery on it, it'll be Lewis because Scheffel doesn't do surgery on yeah. shoulders. But I I get a call from him. Well, you know, I was kind of whatever my my right shoulder was bothering me so i called him and i and i was just kind of telling him that this procedure i had i don't know if it was working or not but i i that's why i called him well actually i sent a, an email to his assistant so i get a call and here's the call it says hey bill it's scott from ismi yeah i'm like who's scott we're, we're, <laughs> no i knew but it's like how many doctors do that oh yeah. you say this is dr shuffle yeah this is Hey Bill, this is Scott from ISMI. How you doing? Da da da. And I and I'm like, Hey Scott. Yeah. But but that's just you know our GP that we have or our general practitioner. You have the same one as I. Yeah. They're just regular guys. Yeah. I mean, I go into his office and I think for the first thirty minutes we talk about Gonzaga basketball. Yeah. 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 And it's just like I, I just dig it. I dig the doctors here. At least the doctors that that I have and use. You know. Yeah. So. And that's. I was actually texting my buddies, um, kind of my, my core group of high school friends, Zach, Matt, and Derek. Um, Zach sent us an article. It was either Zach or Matt sent us an article about Coach Pete. And um, Chris Peterson, who's at Washington now, he just stepped down from the head coach role. Jimmy Lake took the head coach role. And Coach Peterson is now taking more of like an administrative role. And I think he's still employed... I don't know if he's still part of the football team necessarily, but he's going to be like the head of this leadership college that they have. And I think you can major in, I mean, I don't know if it's part of the communication school or whatever it is, but um, he's he's doing more leadership training. And I, I texted him the other day just to say hi and kind of check in with him and... Um, I it's been it's been on my mind for a while that I've wanted to have a conversation with him. And I texted him and he he called me. And it was like kind of instant. And it was just like, oh, I was expecting it to take a little bit longer. Yeah. But he's he's the kind of guy that I I think I was a little bit spoiled when I was in college because I mean, he won the Bear Bryant award twice when I was there and um I He's just such a good dude, and he knows how to rally the guys and get everyone on the same page, but he's not bigger than anyone. And Yeah, that's key. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't think he himself, he knows that he has a role to play, but he doesn't think he's better than anyone because of that. And he, he always emphasized as the leader that the role he played, that everyone has a role to play, whether you're a scout team guy a redshirt freshman, if you're an athletic trainer, um, if you're the janitor, he always, I, I know he always emphasized to say like, even if you're the janitor, it doesn't matter what you are. You got to do your role. If you want, if you want the organization that you're a part of to be successful, you have to play your role and play it to the best of your ability. Right. And that's what I thought was cool. Like he, he would respect you if you played your role to the best of your ability. He didn't respect what position you're in necessarily. If you were the scout team quarterback and you were doing the correct looks, you know, to play the role of the Oregon quarterback or whatever, Coach Pete loved you for that. But if you were doing a shitty job of playing scout team, he would hate you for that. 
So, um, I just, I respect that not being, not being better than anyone or being bigger than anyone or being too busy. And I remember walking into his office a few times when I was there and he was either, you know, on the phone or on his computer answering emails or whatever it was. And if I walked in and I kind of knocked on the door and just said, Hey coach, do you have a minute? He'd stop whatever he was doing and he would give me, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever I needed. So yeah. pretty, pretty that, awesome. That's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's an awesome, awesome guy. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other stories about any other captains that you had? Yeah, I probably got a ton of stories about captains <laughs> that I had, but, uh, um, you know, I, I worked at a, one of the stations that, that, that was a lot of fun was fire station 46. And it was, uh, it was kind of an older, old, old, old station and stuff. And then they, there was a station that was down from us, station 22s that, uh, um, was an old station also. In fact, when I worked at 33s, we went to a couple of fires at 22s after it closed Yeah, at the station. People got in there and set fires and stuff. But, um, when I opened up the new station, 46 was 22s closed old 46 is closed and they built this new station and I worked with a crew that um with this captain Bob Brooks that you know he was just a great guy yeah it just uh you know you you run into certain people during your career and I spent 35 years on the fire department you know that uh you know there were times that I I wish that I'd worked a little bit more with them you yeah know, taught me a lot had a great time with them I mean nothing was you know, he expected a lot out of you and stuff, but nothing was too far above him, you know? I mean, it just, we had fun, and that was the, you know, if you were relaxed and you had fun at the firehouse, I remember, you know, and I was a young guy, but there were days that that he would say, hey, let's, uh, why don't you drive, Bill? So you, you drive, you pump, you're the engineer, pump yeah. operator and stuff like that. We'll have the other fireman who was a guy named Chris Kawhi. We'll have him sit in the captain's seat and the and himself and the regular driver became the two firemen. Yeah. But I remember the first time that we did that and I was driving and, and we get a structure fire call and I see some smoke and stuff. And, you know, so I'm probably a little bit nervous and I, I get there and we lay a line from the, we lay a supply line, a water supply line from the fire hydrant and we pull up and I get out. So, you know, my job is to get that supply line connected. And then, you know, the other fireman who at that time was the captain, he pulled the firefighting line off. Yeah. And I forgot to set the emergency brake on the rig. Oh, shit. And so so the, the, the rig's rolling. <laughs> it's like It's like rolling, you know, and I'm trying to hook up the supply line well there's only so much slack in the supply line to get to get to hook it up so i had to set that down jump in and called it set the maxis which were the maxi brakes the parking brake yeah and you know we just laughed at about it later you know it wasn't like uh hey bill you screwed up you know it's like well you know you you learn from it but we're laughing about it we're just like what what if we were on a little bit more of a hill and that rig just took off yeah and and that's happened before to to other people you know and stuff on a fire department but but bob was a great guy it was uh gosh in 19 well we got married 1981 came back from our honeymoon and we went to tahiti on our honeymoon and we had some time off and stuff and 
Bob and his wife, Shelly, would always go to uh, Big Sur, California for their anniversary. And so since we had some time off, they invited us to go there. Um, we stayed at this cabin. I remember getting there kind of late, getting into our cabin, and there were they had put some wine in there for us and stuff. And they were just, just good, good people. Yeah. You know? And that's the... I mean, I met so many good people in the fire department that I wish that I had worked with them more. Yeah. You know, just spent some more time with them. I mean, I talk about Rick Denning. Rick and I worked together for about a year at that fire station 33, but, you know, we've been lifelong friends. That yeah. was in like 1980. That was in 1984 or wow. something like that. Wow. You know? And we've been friends ever since. 36 know? years ago. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, you guys... I mean, it's funny because you guys are still doing house building stuff and helping him put in cabinets and tear up the floor. And you and I tore out drywall in his new kitchen. And yeah, yeah pretty awesome that you guys are, are still friends. Yeah. And I, it's funny you say that because there's, since I started the podcast, I've started thinking about how there's some guys that I wish I would have taken a little bit more advantage of. Um, getting to know them when I was at Boise state with them. And it's never too late. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Dan Paul did pass away and it, it weighs on me a little bit that I didn't spend more time with them or talk to him a little bit more after college. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it, thinking about that makes me realize that it's never too late to reach out to guys. And that's why I want to use the podcast as, you know, something that I can get guys on to reconnect with a little bit and, um, you know, get them to tell their story. And, um, it's been cool. I had Carlo on, I had, uh, I had Daryl on, I had Mark Paul on. Um, I want to get some of those, some of those other guys that I haven't had the chance to, to talk a lot with and, and get them on the podcast and reconnect with them. Yeah. Um, and if I could give you some advice, it's, you know, some people, some people don't do that, you know, don't reach out to their old friends and stuff. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but I feel like, you know, I have a lot of friends and a lot of people that, you know, that I make sure that I call them a lot. Yeah. You know, I call them at least once a month to talk to them and stuff. And it, you know, you can't, you can't worry about it because maybe some people's personalities are just, just not into, you know, I mean, my best friend, Scott Hall. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and he's just joked about it, you know, cause Patty will say, Patty is Scott's wife and Patty will say, you need to call Bill. And he go, well, he'll call me. Yeah. But he's gotten used <laughs> to the fact that I'll call him. Yeah. And I, and I, that's fine. That's yeah. fine with me. I mean, I, I, I feel like you need, you need to reach out to those people yeah. and you need to, you know, I got, I got a buddy, Jeff Barrett, that was a fireman. He was a guy that I met um, in first grade, you know, and we're still friends. Yeah. We went to 12 years of school together. He became a fireman for another fire department. And, uh, you know, we, I bet we talk at least once a month, you know, and, and uh, he invited me to a Los Angeles Clippers, Los Angeles Lakers basketball game because he has Clippers tickets. And he, he invited me a couple of times and I didn't go. And I thought, I'm going to fly down there and go with him. You know, yeah. I just, he's just a, you know, a friend since the first grade. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, it, it, it's people, some people don't, uh, take the initiative or yeah. 
but that's okay because that's just them. That's them. That's their personality and stuff. And it doesn't mean that you can't do it. And, uh, you know, I, you just need to do that if you want to stay in touch with your friends and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I know sometimes I'll call guys or I'll try to get coffee with guys or get a beer with someone. And a few times there has been a reaction where it's like, well, what, why, you know, like yeah. well, I got my life going on, you got your life going on. And it's like, but then you get there and you start chatting and it's like, I am so happy that we did this, yeah. you know, and then you start chatting all the time. And, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I mean, I think a lot of guys probably moved away from Los Angeles. So you, there's probably, you know, this huge network of retired LA guys all over the country. And it's kind of like that with football too. Like I was talking to, um, Jason Robinson today and you know, he's, I follow him on social media and we've been texting back and forth and stuff. And, and I kept telling him, I was like, dude, I got to get you on the podcast or, or let's at least go get lunch or whatever it is. And, uh, and he told me, he goes, dude, I'm in Los Angeles. And I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't even realize that you were not in Boise anymore. Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting how some people just go back to where they were from or, um, I know Corey Wyarty moved back to Los Angeles. I know Zach Waller moved back to Sacramento. Chandler doesn't live in Boise anymore. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, since you, Debbie and I have been traveling a lot too, I, I want to take advantage of if I, if I blow through a city and I know a guy that lives in that city, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him for sure. And we did that when we were in Salt Lake, I called Joe Kellogg and we went and got breakfast together. So, um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to let those small opportunities slip away because at some point you're going to regret them because I regret not reaching out to Dan more. So, and you know, the thing is if, if you, if you reach out to those people in just a phone call, you know, instead of, instead of them going, Hmm, I wonder why this guy's calling me or, or why Spencer's calling me or whatever, they'll get used to the fact that you call every now and then just to talk to them and catch up with them and, and, and learn what's going on in their lives and stuff. And, and yeah. so they're like, you know, it won't be a shock to them that you're calling them. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just uh yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I, there's some guys that are so introvert introverted and, uh, I mean, I, I like to credit my, uh, ability to talk to people or like <laughs> my willingness to talk to people to you because, I mean, we'd go lift weights at the YMCA, but we'd end up talking to someone for 30 minutes instead of lifting weights. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I'm kind of a social guy, I guess. I mean, I like talking to people. Dude, I mean, I, I love, I love talking to people. It's the coolest thing. I think the coolest thing about life is learning what people are interested in, learning what people are doing, why they're doing certain things. I mean, I, I truly believe that that's like one of, the reasons I'm here. Like, I just like hearing what people have to say. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I stopped and got gas on the way here and I picked up a Coke cause I had forgotten the, the, the Coke for the splash of Coke and the long Island iced tea. And yeah. And I bet I talked to this, this gal at the Jackson's gas station and convenience store. I yeah. probably talked to her for 10 minutes when yeah. I'm standing there. And, and I feel like I'm good at that. Not that I'm, but I'm, legitimately interested in how their day is going. You know, yeah. when you, when you say, Hey, how's it going? Some people are, you know, like, well, some people that ask that question or, and if somebody starts talking to you about it, they're like, 
well, I didn't really want to hear how your day was going. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I ask that question, I do want to hear how your, your day is going. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't care what people, I really, you know, don't care what people think politically or stuff like that. I, I just like to be friendly to people. I like to smile at people. I like to say hi, you know, when I'm out on the bicycle trail, I, I always feel like I want to be an ambassador out here as a ridge to ridge ridge to rivers trail system and and i want to be the nicest mountain biker out there at least the nicest mountain biker that they ran into that day yeah yeah so yeah and i'm i'm with you there's there's people at work um who i think nobody ever talks to or nobody ever asks them how that how it's going and especially right now with uh with the covid stuff going on there are people that are planted at each of the entrances of the hospital and they have to do a temperature check and ask 50 questions to every single person that walks through the door. So when it calms down, I go and talk to those people and I just say, Hey, how's it going? Like anything crazy today? Did anyone answer yes to any of the questions? And it's funny. You, if you probe them a little bit, they'll start talking yeah. and they'll, cause they have someone that'll listen to them. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, we are coming up on an hour and a half, okay. which it kind of flew by to me. There, there are a couple of questions that I didn't ask you that I, you can, well, the only thing that I think people would find interesting and I only think people will find it interesting because I find it very interesting. The, the firefighter that was setting fires all up and down the coastline in Los Angeles or in, uh, in California. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that at all? John Orr. John Orr. You know, we've, we've talked about a lot of the fire department stuff, and I, it's not that I don't want to talk about him. Um, something that we haven't talked about, I don't know. I kind of wanted to Okay, talk. you got I, it. No, no. You got I, it. I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about me and mom and how we met and stuff. Okay, like yeah, that, yeah, you yeah. Know? And, uh, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about that and kind of talk about my college experience if you want to call oh it that <laughs> okay all right let's do it we don't have to stop we can go as long as we want so uh, well we can talk about we can talk about john Orr. it's just no no it's no just, i i i if, could get deeply into that but he was an arson investigator that worked for the glendale fire department and he was he was starting all kinds of fires yeah an arson investigator for the fire department that was starting fires. I mean that, and he was training other arson investigators. He was the guru that these people went to, to become arson investigators. Yeah. And he was the one that was setting all the fires. There's a, there's a book out by Joseph Wamba, who was a guy that wrote about LAPD stuff. And yeah. And he wrote this book and I, God, I want to say it's, it's called fire starter or something like I that. I think it was called fire starter, yeah. but people, People who are listening should look that up because I find it very interesting. I think it's oh, a yeah. very interesting topic to look at. But yeah. let's shelve that. Let's talk about what you want to talk about. Well, you know, I, uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how mom and I met. You know, I mean, I we met in uh, at St. Genevieve's, which is a high school that we went to, the parochial high school that we went to. We met freshman year and, um, we were in our homeroom class together freshman year, and that was the only class we were in. Um, and I was just uh, like smitten over. 
Bat, uh, basketball player. You were a basketball player. And so, mom- so freshman year, I was a football player. I played, okay. I played football, and, and I never touched a basketball before sophomore year. Yeah, I played football. I played flag football at uh, in elementary school and stuff, and I kind of loved that. And there was a basketball team, but I just never played. Um, yeah, so I was a football player. And mom was uh, a cheerleader, and she was. Uh, what I would say is very popular, yeah. you know, and I was in this homeroom <laughs> class with her and I, I was just like, well, that's the chick I'm going after. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and as I, you know, when I think about that back then, it was like, well, I set my sights pretty, pretty high. Yeah. I set my goals pretty high at the time. She was dating the junior class president. Oh, named wow. Chris Gemma. Oh yeah. 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 But, uh, so this class we were in was a it's kind of a lecture hall, our homeroom class. So it was our science or whatever, and uh, lecture hall or whatever. But it was it was tiered tiered seating, you know. And yeah. I, I sat behind mom. Yeah. And I would push with my foot. I would push her desk so the front feet of her desk would go down to the next level, <laughs> and she would just get so pissed off at me. And then I would mom had hair down to like the middle of her back and. I would start tying her hair in knots and stuff. Yeah. Like that, you know, yeah. I was just this irritating guy that she probably was like, who the hell is this dude? Yeah. But uh, pretty funny. And then we started hanging around basically with the same group of people and stuff. And we didn't start dating until midway through junior year. Yeah. Um, you know, there were probably a lot of other girls that I, I could have asked out or something like that. But I just, uh, I set my sights and my goals pretty high and uh yeah finally got mom to say yes when when we went out but uh pretty funny and that's all a long story you know mom broke up with me after after we graduated and stuff and yeah you know there's a tom petty song and i joke about it that it's uh it's kind of was written about lisa after she found out that lisa your mom yeah after she found out that i was uh successful got a job and stuff like that and then, <laughs> You know the name of the song? What, Here Comes My Girl? No, Crawling Back to You. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's on the Wildfires album. <laughs> nice. And I joke with mom about that. Yeah. Know, stuff like that. But uh, but uh, pretty funny. Yeah. Pretty funny. Your mom's a great woman. Yeah. You yeah. guys, I mean, I mom and I talked about it on the podcast, but I think we, um, the three of us kids are living proof that you guys... I mean, did everything right. You guys, we had an awesome nuclear family. You guys taught us how to do things correctly and taught us manners and how to deal with people. And um, I know that I'm going to take that and I'm going to implement it in my life with my family and teach my kids how to be good people. So I, I really, really appreciate how you guys raised us. I think we balance things right. You know, I mean, it's a... Uh, there's got to be a lot of luck involved, you know, or whatever. I mean, we've got three obviously great kids and, uh, you know, and and we've been blessed with that. And, uh, yeah. So a lot of hard work. And I know, uh, we were pains in the ass a lot of the time, but, uh, I mean, you guys, yeah, you're right. Yeah. A lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just how you guys dealt with certain situations, Uh, you can't beat around the bush and you can't walk away from things. So you have to confront it and, um, yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stories that I could tell about doing stupid stuff and how you guys confronted us about it. And, 
Um, I respect you guys for it. And I mean, I deal with stuff in my own life now that way, you know, how you guys dealt with us. So, right. Um, yeah. Right. I, uh, okay. What was the other thing that you said? You said, well, I don't need to really talk about it. I just think it's kind of funny that once I got out of high school and, you know, mom broke up with me, but we were both going to the same junior college Yeah, and mom was kind of dialed in on what she wanted to do. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I went out and bought a van and I was still kind of surfing and stuff. And, um, remember my first semester there, which I never, I never finished that semester at all. I don't think yeah. I ever went to class, you know, <laughs> but I took an algebra algebra class that I probably should have taken in high school. <laughs> I never did. And it was, it was, uh, it was five days a week at seven o'clock in the morning. It's like, and I had moved out right when I turned 18, I'd moved out of the house and I moved in with uncle Gary into an apartment. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's just not the right, it just <laughs> wasn't the right mix that I had to be at school in class at 7am. Yeah. And so I, I tried, but I, I had bought this van and I would throw my surfboard in the van and I would, uh, I would, the idea was to go to class and then go surfing after class. Yeah. And I would drive right by this junior college, which was called Pierce College. I'd drive right by it, and I'd get on Topanga Canyon and head to the beach and head to Leo Carrillo, and, yeah. I, and I would just go surfing instead of going to school. Yeah. And it was kind of a, you know, 12 years of a Catholic school um, with rules and regulations and stuff like that, and I was now a free man, you know, or a free boy yeah well <laughs> not yeah, really you, a man yet you were, I mean, well you were surfing you had a van grew your hair out yeah you yeah. had a motorcycle you went on motorcycle trips and yeah that was kind of the next the next summer um the summer after the summer that i graduated so um but yeah that first semester i never i mean i had six months i rebelled for six months which wasn't bad yeah I moved back home. I figured out that uh, I sold the van. I figured out I had to I had to do something, you know, with my life. And just going to junior college, taking these stupid classes was kind of crazy. I went, ended up going to another junior college, Valley College, and taking fire science classes when I when I thought I'm going to be a fireman. Yeah. So, but it was kind of funny. I mean, it was. Uh, I've told you this story before. I was hanging out with this gal during that six months, and I can't even remember her name and i you know we would go down to zuma beach which was a beach in california and we'd kind of party and on friday and saturday nights and went and spend the night yeah and uh with this band club that i belong to which is kind yeah of, kind of funny <laughs> i'm gonna gold coast vans we actually created the club yeah um i was driving back on the on the 101 yeah and getting off at white oak uh, the soft ramp and this song came on and and I can never, Ben Simpson always remembers the name of the song. I think it's called Wildfire. And yeah. were, in 1975, they were playing it like crazy. And I hated the song. Yeah. I think everybody hated the song. <laughs> and cruising down this off ramp and the song comes on and I'm like, what the hell? And I look over at this girl who I can't remember her name. And she looks at me and I look back and I look back at her and she goes, what? And I go, nothing. But it was right there. I had this moment of clarity. I'm like, I need to get out of this lifestyle and yeah. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And I did. So I, I rebelled for six months. I smoked a few cigarettes, you know, or whatever. And, 
And then I figured out I wanted to become a fireman. So got your got your shit together. Got my shit together. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, awesome. Well, so we are coming up. Yeah, on an hour and a half, and uh, I've been giving my guests the final word on the podcast. So, William, the time is yours to close out the podcast. So, since I'm a lover of Tom Petty. Um, I'm going to quote something in uh, one of Tom Petty's songs, and I think it's a way you know to kind of live your life. But uh, it's uh, it says most things that I worry about don't happen anyway, and that's kind of true. Yeah, I just uh, I kind of live my life that uh, you know you might not have tomorrow, so make sure that you make today count. Awesome. So thanks for having me on, it. Spencer. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I love you. You're welcome. I love you too. All right. You're a great man. Thanks. <laughs> You're a great man. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay.